Welcome to the Legend Rewind Podcast. I am Noah McKay, and on this week's episode, Rusty Ellis sits down with a father and son duo with deep roots in the Upper Cumberland, as Justin and Jojo Matheny tell stories about a whole host of topics. It's a great episode. You're not going to want to miss it. And hey, don't forget, sponsorship spots for the Legend Rewind Podcast are available now. Send a message to our Facebook page or send me an email at noah.ucreporter at gmail.com so we can get you forwarded over to the sales team. Without further ado, here is the Legend Rewind Podcast with Justin and Jojo Matheny. Welcome into the Legend Rewinds Podcast. I'm your host, Rusty Ellis. And this week, we've got a good one. We've got a cookbook father-son duo. I've got an interesting relationship with both of them. One used to be my boss, one of the best I've ever had. And the other is my landlord, <laughs> Jojo and Justin Matheny. What's up, guys? Hey, I'm Rusty. Oh, I'm just glad to have you here. This is going to be a fun episode, I can already tell. <laughs> it will be. <laughs> so... You obviously both are, I, I, I think it's fair to call you all legends around here. I know you've coached, you know just about every coach in the area, JoJo. So uh, start us off, just talk about when you first began playing football. And then we'll get into your coaching career. We'll get into coaching Justin. We'll get into all of that. I started in the sixth grade with King Corporation, then went to the Cookville Junior High, played there for three years, and then on the Cookville High School, well, it was Putnam County Senior High School back then, and then he changed the name. Uh, when we say back then, age. what year are we talking? 1977, <laughs> 78, 79. <laughs> it, was not, it was not meant with disrespect. I was just curious how far back we were going. Yes, sir. 77, 78, and 79. Um, 79 season, eighth game of the year, I was, was playing Gallatin and blew my knee up. I had surgery on it, three ligaments and a cartilage and all that removed, and then... Didn't want to end my career that way, so walked on at Tech the next year. Had a good um, ball count, super winter workouts and, and spring practice. Uh, got both knees hurt. Uh, fortunately, neither one of them had to be operated on, but I said that that was enough and hung it up after that. So from sixth grade to 12th grade in freshman in college was my football career. So one thing I've always actually wondered about you, because you know, it seems like you've known or coached every coach from around here, whether it's Jimmy Maynard, Bruce Lamb, Scott Hughes. How, how did you meet and coach all of these people? Because I know everybody's obviously from around here. How, like, talk about meeting each of those, like especially the coaches that are around the area. Talk about meeting them and how, how you got to know them. And I think Justin will testify to this. Coaching is a fraternity. Once you get into coaching and you – you coached as long as I have. You get to meet people. Uh, you compete against those people. Um, Coach Maynard, I watched him at Tech. I was in junior high, and I remember him being the quarterback at Tennessee Tech. I watched him there. Uh, actually coached against Coach Maynard when he was at Sparta and then on to uh, Riverdale. And then uh, I watched him here. He's been in Putnam County with Upperman Bees, and then he went on to Smith County. So I followed his career quite a bit. Bruce Lamb, uh when I was going through tech, I was a volunteer assistant. Uh, I actually coached Bruce. Mm-hmm. He was a he was an offensive lineman. Uh, well, actually, he's a tight end in high school. Then went on to tech and became an offensive lineman. So th- there's just a, there's a fraternity, and you you around the coaches. You you see them quite a bit at clinics. Uh, they call you. You call them. So it, it's just a, a good networking opportunity for coaches and and a network that you can call on. Did I leave anybody out there, by the way? Was there anybody that I didn't mention in there? Because I know, obviously, Noah Rapaski used to be at Upper Minnie's, not Cumberland mm-hmm. County. Scott Hughes, as I mentioned. Was there anybody that I said in there that I left out? Cause, and, Justin, you feel free to cut in if I left somebody out there as well, because I couldn't remember. Scott Hughes uh, was able to, well, when I worked with Coach Joslin back in the 
now, like 2007, 8, 9, up through 11, 12. Scott Hughes, offensive line coach, and uh, I worked with him, got to know Scott there, uh, enjoyed that time with him. And so it's just, I've been in athletics since the second grade and still one way, shape, form, or fashion involved in athletics. Now, as you know, calling for the reporter mm-hmm. on Friday nights, that, that keeps me involved, that, that scratches that itch. Uh, enjoy that, uh, able to call the coaches. You know, I've talked to Coach Kane, Coach Maynard last year, Coach Hughes this year. So it's just, it's just enjoyable to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Justin, we've asked numerous kids this question, because especially when the pandemic hit and me and you were at our job at that time. Uh, we asked a lot of kids this because we did a lot of stories uh, about this. What's it like playing for your dad? Because I think that it's, I think every kid that plays sports plays for a parent at some point, whether it be rec league, elementary league, whatever. But I feel like starting at the high school level, that's a, that takes on a bit of a different form. What 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 is that? What was that like for you? I mean, something I always like remember <clears throat> is the first game of my senior year. You know, I can't. I don't remember who scored who played but we're playing knock central and we go down and we're a 5a team at the time that's as big highest classification you can go then might have been 4a and we go down the field and just score a touchdown not easily but i mean so coming off the field you know and and get to celebrate my dad and my little brother were the the first people there to congratulate me and uh you know i think my dad when he got out there with coach joslin um it was a little bit to keep me under control sometimes. I would uh, have a tendency to run my mouth and get some <laughs> penalties that were unnecessary. And it, it was just good to have my dad there to kind of keep me in check too along. It's not that I didn't respect those coaches. I would just uh, lose my cool sometimes. And uh, I guess just having to like not only come over and face your teammates and your coaches, but then your dads are disappointed in you because you were selfish and were running your mouth or you hit somebody late, you know. Uh, it was just an, another uh, added layer of humiliation <laughs> to, to get me to act right or make sure I was acting right. You have to have some great stories that you can tell me from, from any time he was talking trash or maybe hit someone late. You have to have some great stories. Well, just to follow up on that, <laughs> it started early, and I won't go all the way back, but... <laughs> It was his freshman year, and I think they're scrimmaging Siegel, and uh, both teams were excited, and so the teams get up, you know, like they do right there, they, they, the players get together, and they're rah rah ring and they're getting excited, and there's one voice I hear out of everyone else, it's louder <laughs> than everyone else, and I'll not repeat what he said, but it, it was obviously... Uh, something he wouldn't repeat in Sunday school. <laughs> but, yes, I heard that voice, and, yes, he, he, he was he was always fiery. So one thing we, we talk about with those athletes that, you know, again, that me and him have talked to before in this in this similar dynamic is that the relationship, the, the coach-player relationship has to end as soon as the game is over, as soon as you get in the car to go home. How important is that um, from y'all's and because I think that obviously with you both being a little bit older than the normal athletes we talk to, they're obviously going through it with their parents right now, but you guys have been through it. What, what was, how important was that? Well, I'll, I'll say this, uh, and he even brought it up on Friday night on his way home from the Monterey Cannon County game. Um, our, our night wasn't over. Uh, the conversation went over when we got home. We, because we didn't go straight home, uh, we would always go to Waffle House. Mm-hmm. 
after the game, and me and my dad and brother, and some of my buddies sometimes, sometimes it would just be me and my dad and my brother, or, but there could be a whole lot of us or little of us, and then we would, we would go and sit and talk about the game. Mm-hmm. And so by the time we left Waffle House, mm-hmm. the game was over. Um, you know, good, bad, the ugly, mm-hmm. you know, I always get a chocolate milk and waffle and some sausage <laughs> or bacon or whatever, but it was funny he brought that up, you know, um, and I even said, hey, I'm going to invite Rusty and some of the other guys, like, uh, on Friday nights, if we're all in like a decently close mm-hmm. area, I definitely think it'd be cool to to go back to Waffle great. House after the game and just kind of talk about the games we were at and uh, you know just hash out what was good and bad in the games and, and things like that. So that I mean, it definitely needs to end at some point. You can't go home after a loss and be mad all weekend. That's for sure. I'll, I'll have to learn that with Macy because I hate losing. <laughs> I hate losing more than I like winning. I love to win, but I hate to lose. So. When did that tradition start? The Waffle House thing. It started well before you were – it's something that the players before him mm-hmm. at the high school did, and, and they just carried that on. And I don't know if they still do that or not, but uh, <laughs> that was that was a big thing to do. And um, we parents would just watch them go, and that was that was fun for them to go and just wind down and relax. And uh, it, it's good as far as the – I did my coaching with my boys prior to them starting football. Mm-hmm. And if – I didn't coach them when they got home. If I wasn't on the sideline, that was between them and the coach. When I started with Coach Joslin, I was there just to uh, encourage, to assist, to, to see technique-wise maybe what a lineman was doing wrong, uh, what the tight ends. And Justin played, again, he played tight end his last year and just to work with him. But I let the, the hard coaching go with, uh, with the, the position coaches, and I was just a uh, – probably more of an analyst the last four or five years, which worked out really well. Well, we've talked a lot about football, but you also played basketball. I, I, I made the joke before we got on here. I feel like there's not a sport that you haven't played. And I feel like it's going to come out randomly that you played lacrosse for one semester. Um, talk about basketball. How, how different was it playing for a coach that wasn't your dad? And talk about the coaches that you did play for. Yeah, you know, I actually didn't start uh, – you know, I played like city league basketball when I was a little kid. And, um I always loved basketball, but I uh, I didn't take basketball serious until uh, my grandfather passed away. He passed away when um, I guess I was in the <clears throat> seventh grade, and he always wanted me to play basketball. And you know, I, I just really never played in you know organized middle school basketball. So uh, my grandfather passed away in the spring, and that following year, going into eighth grade, I tried out for the team, and I made the team and. Um, you know, I always looked at basketball as like a something to keep me busy in the off season a little bit for football, make me a, a better football player. But I loved, I loved actually playing. Um, and I think you see this a lot with high school football players, and um, when they're playing basketball, if they're a football player first. They kind of come in there and they're a little physical. They're a defender. They might not be a great scorer. They kind of rough the enforcer, it up. Yeah. yeah, sort of. And you know, I kind of, kind of was like that. And um, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, I mean, I, I I played with some really good players in high school, from Taylor Hennigan and Blake Courier um, and Judah Akers and some of those guys and Logan Copeland and Kyle Wiley. All those dudes were much better at basketball. I just tried to make. I kind of practice for them as hard as I could. And then when I got my opportunities, obviously you go in there and, and play and try to act on a bunch of games. Um, you know, coaching, 
there's a bunch of different ways to skin a cat, right? And there's a bunch of different ways to, to coach kids and coach sports and everything like that. So uh, it's hard to say, like, you know, playing for Coach Joslin, like he was an elite coach. And then uh, I always thought Coach he did better than anything that I've been around. Even coaching in college is he always had, like, a great beat on the game. And what I mean by that is he always knew, like, at random times in the game, hey, we're going to – we're going to do like a little pooch pop-up kick um, and, you know, maybe we'll get a good bounce and get it. We're going to mm-hmm. we're gonna go for it. We're going to run a fake punt on it. And he just always had this knack of like knowing. He knew kind of what button, what buttons yeah, to push away. It yeah, was, it was, it's kind of like weird how, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, just how in tune to the game he was and, and making some of those kind of risky calls. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we pulled a lot of them off, but he was – more than anybody I've ever been around, you know, running a reverse, a trick play, or <laughs> he just kind of knew when to bring that out of the yeah, bag. Yeah, really, the right just time. At, at random times. It, it, even the our first playoff game, my senior year in high school, we had our defensive tackle uh, Nick White line up about 15 yards off the ball, and, and he played defensive tackle. And their center, uh, we were playing Siegel, and their center popped his head up uh, every time before he snapped the ball. So. <laughs> Coach Joslin was like, hey, when you're going to line up 15 yards, when he pops that head up, just take off running at the line, oh and you're going to – it should time up for you just to blow on the backfield and make a big play. Well, it did not time up, and Nick plowed this guy. <laughs> and Nick was like 6'3", 240, 250, maybe more than that, all-state wrestler, state champ wrestler. Uh, he was unbelievable, mm-hmm. and he just flat backs his center. I mean, 15-yard penalty, <laughs> but honestly, it kind of set the tone. You know what I'm saying? And, I'm imagining watching this in the stands. Yeah, and then it was like, that. what the heck? Like, it looked intentional. It looked bad, but, I mean, it was just one of those things, and it really did set the tone for the game. It was like, hey, we're in this. Uh, you know, we were playing a Murfreesboro school, so we had to do a little something to muck it up. It was one of those um... – Worst case scenario, it turned out all right. <laughs> Coach Joslin was good. It happened with to it. work out a little bit, right? Yeah, it sure did. So I'm curious, and I've, I've wanted to ask you this for a bit. Is there a coach in the Upper Cumberland today that you can look at and you think that they coach similarly to how you may have coached back then? I know the game of football has obviously changed a lot. But... It has changed a lot. Um, I'll say back when I played, it was hard coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, Coach Honey, Coach Rasmus, Coach Slip, uh, Coach. Uh, you came to practice hard. That you knew you had after. Um, Coach Hughes in his earlier days, he, he was that. Now I won't say he's backed off because Friday night there's a <laughs> his senior uh, all-star defensive lineman. Mm-hmm. He jumps off sides. Yeah. Well, Coach Hughes has him to come off and and as soon as an ear shot, he he is talking to him from back all the way over to the sideline. Yeah. Uh, if you ever been to Monterey, that field is uh, right there next to the stands, and so <laughs> he didn't cut him any slack. So uh, it, it was hard coaching. Um, but I say probably Scott Hughes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm sure I've never been to Coach Kane's practices, but I, I've seen him on the sideline. I say he probably coaches his boys up real hard as well, <laughs> uh, as far as getting after them. I think they'd all agree. <laughs> uh, getting after them, and when I say hard coaching, I'm not talking about physically abuse them or anything like that. They just coach you hard, expect you to be in shape, mm-hmm. uh, demanded a lot out of you, demanded the discipline and respect, not only for your, your teammates, your coaches, but the referees and other team. I've always said this, and maybe me and you haven't talked about this, but Coach Hughes is one of my favorite coaches to talk to because whenever I have talked to him, he's so nice and so respectful, and then you see him on the sideline at a football <laughs> game, and it's a completely different person. Uh, so we've talked about your coaching career a little bit. Let's get into yours. So when did you know that coaching at Tech 
for those who didn't know that, you obviously coached at Tech for some time. Uh, when did that? When did that interest you? When did that begin to interest you? I, I don't. I really don't know. I, you know, when I, go, growing up as a little kid around here, <clears throat> there's a ton of pictures of me uh, at practices with my dad and, and stuff like that. And um, you know, growing up around here, you know, you want to play for the Cookville Cavaliers, the Tennessee Volunteers, and then anybody in the NFL. Well, <laughs> at some point. You know, for everybody, only about 1% of high school athletes make it to the college and on any level, and then less than that make it to the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when, you're, when your high school career is over, there's just this void, you mm-hmm. know, and the, you miss that camaraderie of your, your teammates in the locker room. And I was at Tech, and I just knew, like, I had no chance to ever play there. And really, for lack of a better term, went and uh, begged to, if I could volunteer and, and be on the staff there and um, and just try to see if they had any uh, any chance for me to play uh, or be on the staff and be a volunteer coach. And, um, you know, just really tried to work hard and make myself mm-hmm. indispensable. You know, coach Brown was a coach at the time, and uh, Sam Williamson still the defensive line coach at Tech, and he kind of took me under his wing and just – taught me the ropes for lack of a better. And really just started breaking down the film and, you know, writing recruiting letters and, you know, mailing them out for people. And just, like I said, anything you can do to make yourself valuable to, to who's there. And just kind of took my hard work and Coach Brown recognized that. And he, you know, wound up giving me a scholarship, which is I'll forever be grateful for that because it paid for 75% of my college, which was wonder I would have never got that plan. Mm-hmm. Um and something that, like, I always was self-conscious about uh, was, you know, I didn't play college football. And that's a big thing in, in the coaching fraternity in college. Like, if you're a player, you kind of have a leg up on people who didn't. And so, you know, I just tried to work harder and study and learn as much as I could to make up for that. And uh, got on, you know, Taylor Hennigan was my high school quarterback, and when he finished – his playing career at Tech, he became on staff. So we would spend a lot of time, me and him, and we'd play basketball together forever, known him for a long, long time, great family. His dad used to be the head coach at Tech, too. And um, we would spend a lot of our free, you know, watching NFL tape and, you know, studying what we have. We would burn uh, burn disc and, you know, take it home and watch it and, you know, always be talking to each other. So just trying to always, you know, say iron sharpened iron. You know, we always tried to – have that communication and bouncing ideas and coaching techniques off each other. So kind of like anything else, it's, it's just about a lot of hard work. Mm-hmm. And if you put it in, sometimes you get rewarded, sometimes you don't. But when I decided to not coach um, anymore, I'd put in the hard work. I, I, and I was, I was okay. When I finally became okay with it, I, I was good to be, to be done. And it's not that I don't miss a game and that – you know, I wouldn't want to go back and coach someday, even at the college level. It'd be a lot of fun, but it's just a, it's a different lifestyle. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's a hard, uh, t- trying to raise a family and be like, hey, you've got to, something's going to get sacrificed, either yeah. your coach, your coaching career, or your family, and I'm not at a point where I want to sacrifice my family at all. Well, well that's one thing about I want to go back with Justin and his career. When he started coaching, it was his work ethic that set him apart. Yes, he is right. He hadn't played football, but it was his work ethic. He was there. He was early. He stayed there late. Uh, wouldn't get in a dime um, financially or scholarship-wise, but he was there. It's work ethic. But as far as him, um, his knowledge of football, 
ever since I can remember that he, he and I have been old enough to sit down and watch football games. He was always asking questions. And then he went from asking questions to he's looking at the formation, especially on the defense. He could tell you pretty much uh, what the teams need to do. It was uncanning, Rusty, about the number of times <laughs> that we'd be watching a football game. He would make a comment, uh, they need to run off tackle or they need to run uh, back to the weak side. And then the professional announcer said, well, I think the, the Vikings, they need to look at running off tackle right there. Or He was spot on with, mm-hmm. with what the announcers are saying. So he's he's had a, an aptitude for athletics, and especially football, for a long time. And uh, obviously being around it with me coaching, but that's it, just a gift that he's been able to pick up. Uh, and um, even today, he, he he has friends in the coaching fraternity mm-hmm. that, that from time to time will reach out at, uh, out to him and say, well, diagram this play, look at this place, what are you seeing? So he's earned that respect uh, with, with his work and his hard work ethic. So you mentioned the lifestyle of coaches, because I think a lot of casual people that watch football, whether it be NFL, college, what have you, think they see the guy with the headset on Friday. They see that. Or they see the guy with the headset on Saturday or Sunday, whenever they watch. Um, they don't see the work that goes on behind the scenes, though. Um, so, I'll, real quick, before we get into that, talk about, one, every position you coached. I want you to reel off that list because it's a laundry list. I think yeah. it's just about every position. Um, and then talk about that a little bit, about the, the what, how many hours you're spending doing film, how much you're doing you know, recruiting. Like, break that down for us. Yeah, well, I was fortunate and lucky to – to coach on, you know, two different staffs with Coach Brown and then Coach Satter, Marcus Satterfield at Tennessee Tech. And the other thing is, I think the time I was there, I think we had at least five different defensive coordinators. So we th- there was a lot of different, um, you know, terminology to learn. And, you know, somebody may call something orange and the other person may call it five. You know, mm-hmm. j- just things like that. You just have to relearn that verbiage. So I've – I've coached everything except the ones and the threes and the nose, your defensive tackles, but defensive ends, outside linebackers, inside linebackers, uh, nickels, safeties, corners, coached it all. And I think a benefit of doing all that is, especially safety and linebacker-wise, everything has to fit together like a puzzle or it doesn't work. And when you have kind of knowledge of all three levels of defenses, it helps it helps you fit that puzzle together on each play. Uh, an important thing I, I feel like for for young coaches and players in general, just it doesn't matter if you call the wrong play or you're not. And there's not a perfect defensive play for everything. But if you're all running the same thing together, mm-hmm. it can be a terrible call and it turn out okay. Mm-hmm. But if half the team's running one thing and half the team's running the other, somebody's hitting their head on the goalpost and it ain't good. <laughs> um, so it's just. Just having that knowledge of being able to say, okay, I know why the safety needs to align here because this is where the linebackers align. This is where the defensive tackle on that side's align. And what they're supposed to do to certain blocks coming down the pipe, if he's lined up appropriately, he's going to be able to fit that exactly how he needs to. And he can play fast. It's all about it's something uh, I laughed the other night, and I mean this in a, a great, the best way I can, watching Upperman. They ran cover three the entire game. But those kids know what to do mm-hmm. every single play. And they, you, you could tell they play really fast. Mm-hmm. They Did they mess up some? Sure, I'm sure they did. I'm sure Coach Kane's not very happy with some of the plays that happened the other night. But I'm sure he's really happy with some of the other plays too just because his kids line up. Like Cookville motioned a lot. When you're running cover three, you don't have to shift or adjust to motion. You just, you just watch 
see him go back in the box <laughs> or whatever, and you just play it out. There's not a lot of moving parts when you're just running the same thing over and over. And uh, there's a lot to be said for that. It's simple. It slows the game down, and it lets your kids play fast. Um, Coaching-wise, though, yeah, people <coughs> excuse me. People think about it as you know, just kind of a normal job. I know my wife's family thought I was crazy how much time <laughs> I was spending, you know, coaching, but. And I've said this a lot. I don't know if, you know, back in the day when my dad started coaching, they actually, you know, you go through your cut-ups. Well, when you do that, somebody used to have to actually go cut the tape on, like, with scissors and cutting the tape and putting them, hey, these are all the power runs. These are all the zone runs right. These are all the zone runs left. You actually had to cut that and put it in a reel. <clears throat> and that's how you would watch those. And so so the whole the film process and the coaching process because of technology back in the day used to take forever now the technology is instant like practice is up you know in less than an hour sometimes 30 minutes after you get off the practice field so you have time to go get a shower maybe a quick bite to eat and then you're back in there grinding watching tape and it's not and especially on the college level recruiting takes up a ton of your time as well so it's not a you know 40 hour a week job you work seven days a week at least nine months out of the year to get it done and you're working 12 plus hour days 12 14 16 hour days every day i know a lot of times especially you know sunday monday tuesday in season you get in the office about 10 on sunday after game you know our both coaches i work for your grades were always due at one o'clock and you're in the office till one, two o'clock, because you're, you're trying to go through the other team's first and second down plays. Mm-hmm. And that takes you forever, especially midseason. You usually go through a four-game breakdown, but uh, every coach on the defensive side of the ball, like our defensive tackles coach, Coach Coach Sam Williamson, always, you know, he always did the inside run game, and a lot of the full run game. And then the linebackers coach maybe did the outside run game or they did the full run game together. And then the coaches and, you know, me and – Coach Polizzi, Taylor Handy, Pat, you know, the coach with, you know, the first and second down passes, you know, P and T, uh, possession and 10, what are they running on the first play of drives? What are they like on, you know, after they get a big play, are they coming out and looking? There's just so much to look for mm-hmm. in a football game, and you can really spend more time than that. If, yeah. if you could take the limitless pill and stay <laughs> up on it, you could spend as much time as you wanted. But also kind of go oh, circles all the way back around to what I said about Coach Kane and his guy, they ran – cover three pretty much the whole night you can chase ghosts right you can make up things that are never going to happen and mm-hmm. well we can't run this because they might run this well that's crazy have they put it on film yet no do we need to have a plan for it if they start running it start running it absolutely but we're not going to just not run this defense because mm-hmm. they might do something um teams are kind of you know they kind of do what they do at some point in the season mm-hmm. and you're going to have coaches i always thought uh will healy and west satterfield at austin p did a phenomenal job of game planning people and scheming people. And they would, no, they were some guys that would throw something new at you and, and get a cheap one and it would just tick you off. And <laughs> you're like, man, dude, th- those guys are really good. And they, they took some lumps early at Austin P. But you know, Coach Healy's at uh, Charlotte right now and doing a great job down there. And Wes is the OC at Richmond. So um, they've both had good careers. But I always thought that always impressed me game plan wise. So let's talk about where you're at today then. You obviously, JoJo, are the principal over at uh, White Plains Academy. Uh, 
I've always said I think that you know getting into coaching is a crazy profession. I say that as a sports reporter, and that's a crazy enough profession. Um, I think the only thing I look at that might be crazier would be being a principal because I can't imagine the laundry list of things you have to do. Um, why did you get into being a principal to begin with? Well, it all started back uh, actually. At, it was all good middle school then. Had a friend, dear friend and mentor, Verter stuff. Uh, started my coaching career with the all good people football team. Um, and he comes and gets me and asks me if I want to work volunteer with a with a high school, and I did. And so I uh, went on from the high school to Meigs County, uh, then back to Monterey High School, then to um, Cookville High School for several years. And, and then the opportunity came along, uh, Mr. Tom Parker, he asked me if I wanted to be a, an assistant principal, and we moved from the where Avery Trace is now to the new Cookville High School. And, I was there for five years, and being a principal, if I can keep it in my mindset and, and correlate it to athletics, I, I can deal with it that way. Um, and it's very much like coaching. Uh, that head coach has responsibility for everything. The, the principal has responsibility for everything. You learn to uh, delegate. Mm-hmm. You surround yourself with good people who believe in the same directions you're wanting to go. Uh, this is my 20... 37th year total in education in my 26th year in, in, as an administrator. Um, Watt Plains, for your listeners that may or may not know, is the alternative school. Uh, I've always pulled for the underdog, and, and a lot of our students come from bad situations, and, and I pull pull for them, so it's a natural fit. And this, again, starts my 14th year there, and I really love it, and uh, I love working with those kids. and. Fortunate enough that the people in that building did all of them want to be there at that school. So I have a good team there, and that really pays dividends for me. I know your answer to this next question, but I'm going to commit the cardinal sin of journalism and ask it anyways. <laughs> uh, how much of your job, especially when you're working with kids that come from rougher situations, how much of your job uh, boils down to relationship building? 100%. Busty, mm-hmm. our students, whether it's at White Plains Academy or whether it's Tennessee Tech, uh, Justin has a great story he, if he can share with you, but it's the relationships. If if I can get a child trust in me, I can get them motivated to maybe work a little bit, build citizens. Uh, it, it's relationships. And, and somebody asked me about that the other day, and I, I guess the relationships that I look back over, especially at White Plains, those students who have resisted, and we might have had to go nose to nose and toe to toe, uh, figuratively. Uh, but we have developed a bond once they realize that I won't want to quit. I hounded them to the point that, all right, they submitted or they trusted me enough to uh, acquiesce and do what we asked them to do. So this is a story then that I guess I haven't heard yet, so go ahead. Yeah, it's I want about to hear this that young man who uh, was getting on the bus and came up and thanked you. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, uh, you know, <clears throat> you ch- obviously you try to recruit the best kids you can from from wherever you can in, in college football right now, you even Tennessee Tech has a pretty healthy recruiting budget, so you can go anywhere. And um, but you anywhere there's a kid mm-hmm. that that can play, you'll you'll go look for him. It could be in a city, it could be in a suburb, it could be in you know rural rural America where, where people don't have much. And um, I'll, I'll really never forget this. And we're at Kennesaw State. Um, ah, crap! I don't even know what year it is. It doesn't matter. But we we go to play at Kennesaw State, and 
uh, we get on the bus after our team meal. It's a night game, so we get on the bus probably around 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock in the afternoon, kickoffs at, you know, 6 or 7, and get on the bus, and there's this, uh, you know, a freshman player on there. He's just got tears rolling down his face. And when he got on the bus, he we had Gatorade and water coolers on the bus, and he, he picked up, you know, as many as he could carry. And went and sat down on a seat, and I looked back at, at, at him, and I actually heard him, like, kind of crying. I looked back, and I go sit by him. I'm like, hey, man, what's going on? You okay? And it took him a minute. He was, he was kind of choked up, and, you know, we'd gone and stayed in a nice hotel and had, you know, meal when we got on the bus, meal when we got to the, the hotel, meal for dinner, had snack at night with ice cream and pie and whatever, Got up and had breakfast, had lunch, had a pregame meal. So he'd had like at least five or six meals from the time he left campus before we even played the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and he, he just had tears rolling down his face. And he was like, man, I'm just so thankful to be here. I've never, I've never had this much stuff in my life. I've never had this much food. I've never had this much anything, you know, and – that's the kids you do it for. Yeah, do you want to win the national championship every year? Yeah, absolutely. But, you know, coaches who coach for wins and losses are doing it for the wrong reason. Coaching's a people thing on any level, on any level. And, you know, that impacting somebody's life, changing that kid's life. Because that kid probably won't go into college. Mm-hmm. Um, if we didn't, he's probably just going to go work, you know, uh, a manual labor job or, or whatever. And we were able to – to help him out and you know he's he actually got a you know an extra year for COVID so this is his senior year and uh, excited to see what he does at Tech this year but uh yeah you never forget stuff like that and just the impact you know as just by showing you care about somebody can have uh, on the rest of their life let's follow up with that and, um the mentor coach Duff and I was fortunate enough that Coach Duff um, was able to, Justin was able to have him for a teacher. And uh, we, we've both gone to that Duff school of uh, football one-on-one. But he said one of the things that you'll get out of coaching that, that won't show up in your paycheck, it never shows up in the wins and losses directly, but it's the relationships you have with your kids. And um, I know he's gotten phone calls from the players that he coached at Tech, I get phone calls or I see an athlete, former high school athlete, whether it be Meigs County, Monterey, or Cookville area uh, from time to time. And it's just good to have that relationship and go talk with them. And it, it, it's it's all about the relationship. It's all about working with that child, that athlete, and pouring your heart into them uh, to, to see them become better men and women. Uh, that's, also also, a, that's also what stinks, too, is, you know, at some level, you're always going to get, you, you pour into kids, and it, it's not, not necessarily, I don't mean reciprocated, mm-hmm. but it's, they let you down, you mm-hmm. know, so, or they do something that you're, you're not happy with, mm-hmm. and that hurts, you know, mm-hmm. uh, you, you, you spend so much time, you know, trying to mold these kids and get them to do the right thing, and they're, they're, they're young kids, they're going to screw up, I, I screw up every day, and I'm over 30, you know what I'm saying, like, uh, and that they have so much on their plate going on, but you put so much into them, it breaks, it breaks you down. It's just, you know, disappointing when, when they do something they know better than to do. But, again, that's about the relationship and why you got to be there for them and let them know, like, you're not going to throw them out with the bathwater when they screw up. Now, if they keep 
screwing up the same things or they just can't get right, you know, there comes a point in time where you have to have some tough conversations, but it's about if you have that relationship with somebody, you can have that conversation. So he's been in administration, you know, for however long. You, you just said, obviously, how long you've been in administration. She said this is your 26th year. 26th year in administration, 37th year total. So he, he, he's had a pretty straight line, you know, work-wise, what he's done. One thing that has always stuck out to you is that you have done what feels like a little bit of everything. Yeah. So after you got out of coaching at Tech, talk about everything that happened after that. Obviously, you hired me, and you know, I, that's the whole reason I'm out here in Cookville now. And you obviously had, you know, the the birth of your first child. Talk about uh, talk about all that. Yeah, I guess I'm kind of a jack of all trades, master of none. You know, <laughs> I don't do anything very well. I'm joking. But when I, when you know, when when I coached Satterfield and everything, kind of that happened. Uh, spent some time trying to figure out if I was going to keep coaching. You know, different things like that. But a good friend of mine, John Albertson. Uh, is the director of uh, Putnam County Parks and Recreation. So he called me and, and said, hey, man, do you, uh, do you want to just come out here and work for a little while um, while you're trying to figure out what you want to do? And I was like, yeah, that'd be great. So I, you know, mowed baseball fields. We needed, you know, did a bunch of stuff at the community center pools and stuff like that. Um, just some, some manual labor stuff like that. But I can tell you, all those guys, he's got a crew of like nine or ten guys, and those guys work so hard. Um, and that's something that when I went out there, you know, I'm not a very handy person. I can't build anything. I don't – I can mow a yard, get on a lawnmower. That's not hard. But doing, you know, don't have a lot of knowledge of, you know, just a bunch of different things in the fields that they do. Mm-hmm. And, again, something – I'll never forget the worst – a grown man, so you can't call DCS now. It won't do any good. But the worst beating I ever got was for <laughs> just, I mean a beating, spanking a beating um, was for not working. When my dad, it's not just when my dad was working. He'd asked me to do something, and mm-hmm. I thought that was my problem. I thought I had <laughs> done it good enough, and I hadn't. And he he finished what he was doing. He came and showed me, and I was just sitting down. And he came to get me to tell me that I had not completed my task and I was being lazy. And so he said, I don't want to have to tell you again. Well, long story short, he had to tell me again, and it didn't end well <laughs> for me. And I say that you know, kind of as a joke, but it always – I kind of – even as a young kid, I was like, well, I, that ain't happening to me again. I'm going to work hard. Um, so I just went in there and tried to work hard with those guys and earn some of the respect that way. And I hope I did. I think I did. Um, but left there and, you know, had a chance to go uh, be a GA at Western Michigan with my buddy Dante Wright and, mm-hmm. you know, just decided not to go for whatever reason, just wasn't, uh, wasn't probably the right fit or the right time and uh, turned that down and wound up going and working at the Chamber of Commerce as mm-hmm. their director of investor relations. So you go from outside working every day in the heat and the cold, the rain, you name it, and, and doing all that they do um, to going and the Chamber of Commerce, where you have to wear at minimum business casual, sometimes suit and ties required, and uh, was in charge of helping raise money for the Highlands Economic Partnership. And uh, that's a completely different circle of people that you're dealing with. You're dealing with people with a lot of money who own businesses, who've brought businesses here, who started their business from the ground up, who've been successful, who haven't been successful, and trying to raise money that way. So that really got me plugged in with a lot of people that – you know, 
are my friends and who have always told me like, hey man, I'd love to hire you at some point for something. <laughs> Don't know what it is, uh, you know, just being able to kind of go and BS with people and enjoy getting to be around them and talk and get to know them uh, was fun. And left there, obviously, and went to Stonecom Radio. And that was really, man, that was really my dream job. You know, mm-hmm. I, that's what I went to school for. I went to yep. school mm-hmm. for journalism for a couple reasons. First off, I, I did journalism because it was easy. <laughs> and they let me they let me cover the football team, yep. which I was already working for. Mm-hmm. So... I mean, it, it was just, it made too much sense not to do it. Like, I didn't have to really put forth that much more effort. Uh, I'm, with school, I'm a minimal effort guy. Like, <laughs> if I, I don't study, I don't do homework. You're telling the truth. <laughs> I show up, and they're like, hey, you're having a test today. I'm like, hey, this, this is new to me. You know, I, uh, and it's, you know, not that I slept in class. I guess, you know, just, I just never really enjoyed school. Uh, that being said, I never made lower than a B at Tech. I am proud of that. Um, <laughs> at Tech. Because I made a ton of... I don't know if I ever made B's in in high school, and it wasn't because I made all A's either. (laughs) Um, You know, but, you know, and just things, you know, was how it went at Stonecom, there can be a lot of finger pointing, you know, at at one way or another, but things didn't work out. Mm -hmm. Just for whatever reason, um, part of it's my fault, part of it's their fault, and I think we can be, we're all adults, and we can be man enough to accept uh, you know, responsibility for things we did wrong on both sides. And it just was not, it just was not going well. It wasn't a good marriage, um, so to speak. So we got a divorce and, um, you know, I spent some time without a job, went and worked at, uh, the Putnam room, uh, and for my buddy, Chad Combs and his blue rooster catering company. And, uh, I mean, I quit stone calm on like a Wednesday and I yeah. worked, I, I remember, him. <laughs> I remember, if you want to know, I remember the exact day that I woke up to a text saying, hey man, I quit. It was October 14th at 7.35 in the morning. I re- you don't forget stuff like that. <laughs> hey, let me go back to you. I'm going to you, pull you into this. Oh Lord. When I started at Suncom, they told me, there's, you know, I needed, I, I had the ability to, at first I was going to be able to hire two full, full-time people and I had my two people and you were one of those people and I didn't know you. They suggested I hire you, mm-hmm. and I was like, all right, whatever. Uh, but I was going <laughs> to hire, you know, one of my other buddies, James, James yeah. and um, it came down to, hey, we're all going to be able to hire one person. That person's going to be part-time. And then I, I spent some time trying to get to know you mm-hmm. uh, and and talk to you on the phone. And Marcus Mariota was nearly the death of my job, my job opportunities there. And I, I love being able to say I was right about things, mm-hmm. and I was right about that. That's a different conversation for a different day, <laughs> but I 100% was right. Um, but, you know, I, I hired you because you were the best person for the job they needed, needed to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, it would have been a lot easier for me to hire my buddy, Mm-hmm. Um, we had both probably got fired super quick. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. um, I think that's something that you, that people, it's hard for people, um, especially when friends, because I had to call, I had to call them and tell them, like, hey, man, I can't hire you. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's hard when your friends are involved to do the right thing because mm-hmm. it would have been easy for me to hire him and, you know, just say, hey, we're just going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, but you were the best person uh, you brought so much more to the table than I did. And looking back on it, you probably should have had my job the whole time. Um, I don't know that I was equipped mm-hmm. to do that job. I'd never done it. 
Uh, and that's why I'm saying part of it's my fault. Um, you know, I, I feel like I just was not, I know they, you know, Larry, he, he met me and he liked me and liked my sports background and the, mm-hmm. my willingness to work hard. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was, I just did not have all the tools I needed to run that as successful uh, as he as he wanted it to be, and I think you did. I think you do, and I think you did. But bringing you here was a huge. I mean, not a gamble, but it was a huge bet on my part, and it it worked out right. Like I bet on the right person, mm-hmm. not taking anything away from it. <laughs> James is like a carbon copy of myself. Like he is me. Just but he, knows his, stuff. he, knows, he his stuff. knows his stuff, but um, yeah, not taken away from him. I'm just saying we're the exact same person and we have the exact same flaws and exact same strengths Mm -hmm. like what were your strengths were some of my flaws and what were my strengths were some of your flaws we were were able to piece it together um very well but you know left there and like i said went and worked at the putnam room and and the blue rooster catering and thankful for that time got to make a little bit of money make some new friends um work at a super nice restaurant where (laughs) got to learn a lot about food that was really cool um but, you know, I wound up at First Bank. My neighbor at the time, Jeremy Tollison, uh, I called him like a few days before I was quit at Stonecom, not really sure, not knowing that I was going to quit in a few days. <laughs> and was like, hey, man, I, I have a family friend who's told me I need to be in banking. I, I know nothing about banking. I'd love to come talk to you sometime about it. Not really anticipating something coming out of it. I was hoping it would, but went and talked to him and he kind of you know was like yeah i think you'd be great at banking and i was like sure whatever <laughs> um, go, go talk to him and his boss scott garrett who's the uh, plateau regional president for first bank and scott liked me and and you know thought thought i had some potential in the future in the banking industry and world and um wound up you know getting to start there kind of mid-may and you know Banking is, is kind of a customer service. Mm-hmm. What I've learned is a customer service thing. And when the bullets start flying, and I, I, this may be edgy, but when it's nut cutting time, when, when the game's <laughs> on the line, your true people's true colors show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you've got to be a man of your word at the end of the day about everything. Because that's all you have when you leave this. So you can take nothing with you. Mm-hmm. And what people remember of you, was he an honest, you know, a God-loving, good man, if I called him and he, he needed something from me, could he? did he follow through with it or did he skate around it or whatever? That's how I want to be remembered, just that I, I did right, that I was an amazing husband, a great father, and um, that I was just a man of my word, and I did what I told people I was going to say I was going to do. So one thing, and I've never told you this, but one the one thing you did at Stonecom that I think, I think sticks out to me more than anything else we've done, because especially in the two years we were there, a little, little bit longer for me. Thankfully, I came to my senses eventually. Um, one thing one thing that you did that stuck out to me was last football season, you did a halftime show where you did a – I don't want to call it a monologue because that, that makes it sound rehearsed. I don't think it was. I felt like it was just you hitting record and you just kind of went. But you spoke about a player that you used to coach and the importance of athletics because in, in the COVID year, I always said that. I felt like a lot of people – devalued how important athletics were to not just to your everyday kids but to kids that are in bad situations where that's their escape and that's what they do to kind of enjoy that's their passion 
Um, what inspired you to do that and talk about that? Because that's one thing that when I heard that, at, you know, I was sitting in the parking lot of outside of Cookville Stadium listening to it before I went in for the second half. Uh, that really stuck out to me, and that, that hit home with me. Yeah, well, it's actually something really sad that, that brought that about. Um, a kid I recruited from, he was actually at Sevier County High School uh, from the Gallatin area, actually. He was, uh, he was killed in a uh, drug deal gone bad uh, back in Gallatin, and he was um, one of seven kids, and, you know, his mom was a super hardworking lady, worked at the hospital, and, um, you know, just... Uh, the kid had a, bounced around a little bit, and his older brother was a phenomenal, phenomenal football player too. Wound up not qualifying out of high school and going to JUCO, and did got in some trouble. Wound up in prison, and you know this young man um, had, I mean, SEC offers, mm-hmm. and it was pretty evident he wasn't going to make it uh, academically. And, you know, all those schools dropped off of him. He was committed to an SEC school for a long time. Um, but I just started talking to him, getting to know him, kind of knowing a lot of people were backing off on him and knowing it would be really hard to get him into Tennessee Tech. Mm-hmm. Um, Tennessee Tech's a tough school to get into um, if, you know, if, you're, if you're struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they don't give you a lot of exceptions. You don't get a lot of help mm-hmm. from the academic side. Uh, they, they don't, you know, they're not MTSU. They're not the largest population school in the state. They're between that 10, 12,000 range because they want that tech degree to mean something when you leave here. Now, I, I always equivalented tech to almost like the Vanderbilt yeah. of the OVC, you know, and mm-hmm. not that tech and Vanderbilt are the same. But they kind of have it's, – it's just – That value little, to the OVC. Yeah, know. exactly. It's just a little more difficult to get, to get high-caliber players in there who might need a little help. Um, and, and believe me, there's kids that get in there that, that the um, – academic side lets in and helps you out but uh other schools in the conference have a lot easier time than that than the tennessee tech does a lot like vanderbilt mm-hmm. um but yet knowing he was going to have that trouble getting in i just kept talking to him knowing you know he may go to juco and blow up again and wind up at a power five school or at a g5 school like a middle or app state or whatever but i'm just gonna keep this relationship going and you know see what happens that's all you can do when you're you know, you get a kid like that at a Tennessee Tech, he changes your program. Mm-hmm. And you can be, you can, you know, be a conference contender and contending for the playoffs and stuff like that if you just get one guy like that on your team. So um, just had, you know, formed that relationship with him and even kept up with him. He wound up going to JUCO, flunked out of JUCO, came back home, and obviously went down a path that was not – obviously the best path that wound up getting him killed um so that morning i you know uh, kind of notorious even a lot of times it'd just be me and larry there at the mm-hmm. the radio station super early in the morning yeah. you know just whenever i'd wake up i just go in and uh, and start working a lot and uh happen to get on news channel five mm-hmm. you know their website and saw a story about uh about him you know getting killed in that, that drug deal and I don't know. I mean, I just felt led, you know, like something inside of me to to speak about how important athletics are to to kids. Because a lot of times people look at at athletes that that are entitled. They get this. They get their school paid for. They get their meals. They get housing. They get all this gear that, you know, whatever. It's just easy to sit here and be hard on these kids. Um, But, man, 
the life that some of these kids come from, I can't fathom. I've I've had an unbelievable life. I've never wanted for anything. I had everything I ever wanted. I had more than I need. Um, and some of these kids come from nothing. Mm-hmm. And the fact, talking about that kid earlier who was so grateful, that you can give an opportunity to to for people to change their lives forever. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of these kids who are the first person in their family to go to college. And we want to talk about breaking the cycle of, of people from all walks. Like that can break a cycle. Mm-hmm. And you can be white, black, Latino, whatever. Like you can you can be in a bad cycle regardless of your skin color or what area of the country you live in. That can just change your life and your future family's life forever, something like that. And um, it also teaches you in today's world everything's instant gratification and sports are hard especially football but practicing football sucks like you hit and you hit and you hit all the time and you lift weights and you run and i'm not saying you don't do that in other sports but there's no easy way to practice football you can practice basketball not touch a soul Mm -hmm. you can practice baseball not touch a soul soccer's probably a little different lacrosse is definitely different but there's there's something about practicing football and just sports in general that just teach you so much you know, you got to have, like I like to tell my like to tell my players, regardless of what position I was coaching, that next play mentality, mm-hmm. what's next, reset is, man, if you get a pick six, game ain't over, your butt's got to go back out there and keep covering that guy the rest of the game. If he, he mosses you or houses one on you, bro, it's one play, let it go. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't live and die on every play. You got to try to stay as even kill as you can. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just taken for granted a lot, especially with COVID and kids missing out on that. Like, I feel so bad for that group of that, the seniors that first year that COVID shut everything mm-hmm. down. Um, you know, I think Stone Memorial, for yeah. what it's worth, was the girls were going to win a state title. Yep. Um, and, the, and then the rest of those teams, the boys didn't even get to play. Uh, and the spring sports never got to play anything. Mm-hmm. And, I mean – I couldn't imagine my senior year being taken from me, and that that was had to be a tough pill to swallow. But I know there's a lot of kids who grew through that and learned from that and got better, mm-hmm. and were able to focus maybe a little academics or college or whatever they had out there. But the sports are a great microcosm of life. You're gonna get down, you're gonna get knocked down, and it's how you react. Do you get up or are you gonna lay down? You stay on the canvas. It's that old adage. Um, it's not how many times you get knocked down, it's how many times you get up. You just got to keep getting up, and that's the most important thing that, that can be lost if you don't have sports. Well, I mentioned that, that, that yeah, obviously I remember the day that you sent me the message that you were leaving. The only other day that I remember you sending me a message at our previous employer, um, I don't remember if it was February 10th or February 12th. I feel like it was one of those dates, and I'm probably wrong on both. Uh, how much did did birth of your daughter? How much how much did that change everything for you? February the tenth. Okay, so I was right. right. Let's go, there we man. Go. There That's we awesome. Go. Yeah, uh, man. I now I'm gonna get a little spiritual here, and I'm not gonna go way too far off on it. But I'll say this: like, I, you know, I'm a I'm a Christian, and I believe in God and mm-hmm. and Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Mm-hmm. I never understood the sacrifice that God made for us by sending Jesus until I had mm-hmm. my daughter. Grew up in church, uh, mm-hmm. been you know, been around church my entire life, but that just put everything in perspective to me so much. And, and ultimately, that's what uh, played a huge role in, in me um, deciding, and look, this is not a, a, a stone calm fault or anything. This is a just kind of the nature of the beast with sports. Sports yep. are played a lot at nighttime. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I just wanted to be at home with my family. And that's why I'm not coaching right now as well. Um, it's hard. Again, I said I wasn't going to sacrifice my family for coaching. And that's really my dream. That's like if I if all things were equal and I could work at 8 to 5, I'd still be coaching. Yeah. Um, so I wasn't going to work similar the coaching hours at Stonecom and not, not get to be around my family. Mm-hmm. Um, but, man, Macy Ray has – She's a little ball of sunshine, and uh, she's wilder than a jackrabbit, but I love the heck out of her. And I just, you know, and I hate, you know, people always say, oh, you just never know till you have one, blah, blah, blah. You know, you hear all those things, and you're like, yeah, whatever. And But you have one, and everything's just different. You look at things through a different lens, like filthy mouth. Like, I have a terrible, terrible <laughs> mouth. I listen to bad music. I watch you know, rough stuff on television. I never used to bother me. Well, now I watch Moana about nine times a week. I don't watch <laughs> rough stuff in front of my daughter just because I don't yeah. want her hearing that, seeing that stuff. But uh, love me some Moana. Um, but, yeah, I mean, having having children changes everything in an instant. Like, I, I know Candace was worried if I was going to be a good father or not because I never, like talked to the baby in her belly or like mm-hmm. rubbed her belly very much <laughs> you know just just kind of a personal issue uh, on my end here like, like pregnancy thing freaked me out candace knows this so i don't know if i say that but it's weird you know man um, mm-hmm. but yeah she was kind of worried like oh man he's gonna be a deadbeat dad like but the second macy ray came out i was like well one i cried like mm-hmm. a little baby um literally and i was just super emotional and just wrapped around that little girl's finger and she hadn't even cried yet like i didn't mm-hmm. smack her butt yet and she she <laughs> she hadn't even cried and i was crying um but yeah that, that changes it changes everything and I, I feel like you know uh back to you know the spiritual part of it like you know we're, we're also called as christians you know go out and witness and make other believers but your your number one mission field per the bible is your home mm-hmm. and you've got to witness to your home and that's your that's your main folk your main base and then you know grow up from there and um, i take that that's something i take more serious and i've taken anything in my life as being the best husband and father i can to candace and macy ray and to be that you know the best example i can for the both of them so free game here to end this off then jojo we'll start with you and then we'll get you after uh any advice any if you could speak to the younger generation of athletes that exist today whether they're high schoolers middle schoolers just starting out, what advice would you give them based on your life experience that you've been through? Athletics is hard. It's fun. You develop relationships and friendships there that that will last you a lifetime. Listen to your coaches. Do what they ask you to do. Uh, and then eventually you're going to get to the age that you're going to start lifting weights, get into a, weight good, a good weight program. Uh, do not suffer uh, an extra 5 or 10 pounds on a lift for, for technique. Always learn how to lift technique-wise. Uh, surround yourself with good people. Uh, and a little sidebar here. 1976 was the first time I met David Little. Mm-hmm. Uh, David Little has been a mentor to me for a long time. I've, I've played for him. I've coached with him. I've worked for him uh, as an assistant principal at Cookwell High School. And then he went off to another school to be the principal. He came back to Cookwell High School, worked with him there. Uh, he, he got me a, a job on probation, and now that band, so to speak, is back together working with the, the reporter. Uh, but just 
enjoy your time, enjoy your teammates, give it everything you got, and when you walk off the practice field, the game field, leave it all on the field uh, and say you give it 100%. And, and that's not only in the, the, the game field, practice field, that's just in life as well. Sometimes, as Justin said a while ago, you're going to get knocked down. Sometimes you're going to screw it up. You're going to make a mess of it, but you don't lay down the water and you get back up and come back and play another day. Yeah, mine's a little bit of an echo on a couple things there that he said, but the main thing is, wise, and this isn't a lot. What, what, what's basketball, cross, soccer? What are all these things? They're games, mm-hmm. all right? You, play, you start playing all these games when you're little because they're fun. And your mom and dad might make you do it. And at some point, if you know parents continue to make you do something you don't want to do, you're not going to do it when you, you're old enough to decide. But if you're wanting to do it, it's a, it's a game and you're a kid and, and you love it. And a lot of times, even on the high school level, definitely on the college level and the pro level, it's so much more of a business. And don't forget why you started playing when you were a little kid. Mm-hmm. Like you're playing. You started playing when you were a little kid because you love the game, mm-hmm. and, and that's that's all it is. Like yeah, and even in high school, is there a bunch of money floating around? You know, I mean, coaches get paid. You know, there's a lot of people who come to pay to go to the game, the band, the concessions, all that stuff's there. So yeah, there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of pride. But um, if it if it becomes more of a job, and it definitely gets that way in the college level a lot. Um, that I, and I always hated to see it, that kids lost their love for the game. Mm-hmm. They're out there because they were getting their scholarship, or they were out there because they were trying to earn their scholarship or whatever. I mean, you got to love the game. Mm-hmm. When, it, when you stop loving the game and it becomes a chore, it's, it's tough to ever kind of get back from that. And the last thing I was going to say is just get, you know, if you can't give it all you got, why do it? Like, don't go out there and half, halfway do it um, because you're going to wind up getting yourself hurt, hurting somebody else. Uh, if you don't want to be out there, don't, and no matter how hard that pill is to swallow for your dad, your grandpa, your uncle, whoever's wanting you to play, if you don't want to be out there, don't be out there. But if you're going to be out there, lay it all on the line um, because when it's over, it's over. Like it, Football is going to end one day from Tom Brady. And you can look at that dude and say, hey, he left every bit of it out on the field. I mean, absolutely. Say the same for a lot of people. But when it's over – it's over. I mean, you know, most professional athletes don't play quarterback till they're 44. They might play till they're 38, 39, something like that. And then they, you know, hopefully you've got 50 years left or 40, 50 years left of your life to do something else. Um, but when the game's gone, it's gone forever. When you retire and uh, you might, you might be fighting with it, saying, "Hey, I'm, I'm gonna, I'm, you know, I'm gonna play forever." It doesn't happen. And um, just enjoy it. It's a game, and remember why you played the game. Because you love it and because it's fun and, and you can learn a lot. The, uh, I have a friend that I'll be, I'll be really quick. <laughs> he coaches at Milan High School in West Tennessee. Uh, he's an assistant football coach and he's the head softball coach out there. And he talked about, um, he was telling me about one of his games uh, this past this past spring with his softball girls. And he was making them run after the game. And he said, Girls, you're not running because we lost. Mm-hmm. You're running because you disrespected the game of softball. But before he got there, he asked them what the game of softball meant to them. And, you know, one girl said, you know, it, it helps me meet new friends. One girl, I love it. I'm going to get to play in college. You know, all these different things of why they love softball. Mm-hmm. And then he said, 
and you know, and as he told me, you know, they just didn't play with great effort, mm-hmm. and you know, they lost the game. They it's not that they lost; they could have won the game. They could have lost the game by a little bit, you know, whatever. But he made them run because they disrespected the game of softball, and I, that makes so much sense to me. If if you're going to do it, give it all you got all the time, from start from opening whistle to end of whistle, or from the first pitch to the last pitch. Give it all you got while you're out there. Spoken like a couple of gentlemen with plenty of experience in the field of coaching. <laughs> well, that'll that'll do it for this episode of the Legends Rewind Podcast. Again, that was Cookville's own JoJo and Justin Matheny.